Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 12. And once you have found it, it is on page 942 in the Pew Bibles. You may stand for the reading of God's holy word. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment resulting, judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one man's trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came came in to increase the trespass. But where the sin increased, the grace abounded all the more. So that as the sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness. Leading to eternal life through Jesus. Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This week, I was reminded very early on that all of Scripture is God-breathed. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. How much? All, All, thank God. Uh, And breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for the training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. All of Scripture is breathed out by God, and it is for your benefit to raise you up. It's His benefit. That he sits underneath the Word of God. So this week, as I was preparing, um, one of the first commentaries that I read by a man named Thomas Schreiner, the very first line of the very first commentary said this, and it was not very encouraging to me. Romans 5, 12 through 21, is one of the most difficult and controversial passages to interpret in all of Pauline literature. Well, thanks for the encouragement. It's the most difficult, most challenging. John Piper preached seven sermons on this one passage. Seven. When he was preaching through Romans. 
And when I was reading through uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the doctor's sermons on this text, I realized that there were 14 different sermons on this one text. 14. I'm giving it to you in one. So you're here for two or three hours this morning. What's more, when I sat down to study this text, I listed out all the major doctrinal issues that I saw in this text. I identified at least seven major theological themes. I identified substitutionary atonement, original sin, the imputation of righteousness, universalism, federal headship of Adam, the historicity of Adam, and the role of the law. So I got seven points, right? Hopefully I'll narrow it down a little bit more. So needless to say, this, there's a lot in this wonderful passage, and I'm going to do my best, best to help you understand what is here and what it means for your life. I thought, you know what, we've got a baptism, we've got a number of guests who have not been along with us for the long haul through Romans. I thought maybe I should just throw a softball, an easy one, but I thought, no, God has appointed this for this day, therefore we will stay in the text. We'll stay in the text. The reality is that hard texts like this are helpful because they help us answer complex questions for our complex life. And they make us work hard to wrestle these ideas to the ground so that we can grasp a hold of it and more fully understand the beauty of the Gospel. So my hope today is to help you... We'll, spur you on to think more, to read more, to respond more of what is found here in Romans chapter 5. So we've got to ask the question, what is the message found in this particular section? You need to know a little bit about me. I'm kind of a whole to part kind of person, which means I operate best when I understand kind of where true north is, where uh, kind of what is the big picture of things? Just this past, last Sunday, my wife uh, was not here with us because she was at another church promoting Camp Manitoba, and she changed plans. We were just going to head on home, and we were going to have a great meal at home. And she said, hey, let's go to Chicago and enjoy Chicago. And I'm going, what does that mean? Where, where, where are we going with this? She goes, well, let's just go to River North. I go, River North is big. Let's help me understand where are we going so I can break it down into pieces. I said, pull out Spot Hero. Tell me where are we going to park. And we finally nailed it down. And I think that's also helpful for us to understand what is the picture so that as we break it down, we can say, this is where we're going. This is what it is. So we've got to understand the conclusion to chapter 5 we see that Paul was unpacking what it means to be, to be saved by the life of Christ. What it means to be saved by grace. And the passage sets up now a, a comparison, a compare-contrast between Adam and Christ for the purpose of showing us the differences of what it means to be in Adam and to be in Christ. They're two totally different categories. So the main point of this passage is what Christ has done for all who are in Him is greater than what Adam did for those who were in Him. Let me say it one more time. What Christ has done 
For all who are in Him, who are in Christ, is greater. It's huge. It's insurmountable. It's like the greatest mountain compared to what Adam did for those who were in Him. It's like the plains of Nebraska compared to Mount Everest. So Paul is trying to help us comprehend the two categories of people who are in the world. Those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ Jesus. And so following his treatment of the reconcili- of reconciliation and God's love in verses 6-11, through 11, he now explains what it means to be reconciled enemies. To be reconciled enemies who now share in the life of Christ. Or to put it in the form of a question, what are the hopeful implications for human beings in Christ's triumph over Adam's trespasses? What are the implications, if you are in Christ, what are the implications for you since Christ reigned, triumphed over Adam, what are the implications for you today? So to get to this answer, we have to look at Adam, at Christ, in ourselves so let's start off with adam's trespasses and our trespasses that are found in verses 12 through 14 we begin looking at the connection between adam's sin death and we paul talks about sin and death not because they're just problematic not because they're like um something that just gets under your skin and bothers you but because he talks about them because sin and death threaten to squash the hope of believers as we look to the future and as we look live in today. In verses 12-14, through 14, Paul takes us back through history to help us understand why human beings, why you need reconciliation, and why we can have hope. The word therefore takes the prior themes of being weak and ungodly and still sinners and God's enemies and connects them to the very interest entrance of sin into this world why are we weak why are we ungodly why are we sinners why are we God's enemies well it's because sin has entered the world so to understand all this we have got to go back all the way to Adam what do we learn about Adam and our trespasses are found in verses 12 through 14 We learn first that sin came into the world through how many? One man. Genesis 1 through 3 tells us that God created the world, including human beings, and it was good. It was perfect, it was in a sinless state. Just so you know, in that good and perfect, sinless state, Adam and Eve worked. Just want to throw that in there. So even sin is affecting our work, right? So fellowship with God was initially unbroken because God's holiness was in this, had perfect harmony with His holy creation. And there was only one restriction, just one. Adam and Eve could not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's only one thing that you may not do. And when they violated this command, the holy creation fell into sin. Sin entered into the world through the choice of one man. But we also see, secondly, that death 
also came into the world. The effect of this violation of God's holiness was ultimately, that violation being called sin, was ultimately death. It led to death. Sin and death are tragically linked together. When, when it talks about death, the Bible means more than just physical death, right? Often we think about, oh, because sin's in the world, I die. Yes, that is absolutely true. And, but biblically, death also includes basic separation. It means enmity with God. It means alienation from God. That is the characteristic of the natural relationship between God and mankind. There is death. You need to see death as more than just a physical reality. Death, the anti-God realm and power which was introduced into the world with Adam's sin, is still operating at full power today and results in the physical death and eternal condemnation. And when you, So when you see death in the Bible, don't just think dying, my last death, because there is another one that is to come. Thirdly, we see that death spreads to all men because all have sinned. And the text moves from focusing on Adam to identifying how the entire human race has been affected. And if you want evidence of that, look at the political scene right now. Look at our world. Look at our neighborhoods. And sadly, even look at some of our marriages and our family conditions. It has moved all out. We're all affected. The Garden of Eden's trespass resulted in death not only for Adam and Eve, but for the entire human race. Further, death spread to all men because everyone sinned in Adam. So what does that mean that we sinned in Adam? I didn't know that man from Adam. So what does it mean for us to sin in Adam? It means that Adam sinned as a representative of of the entire human race. And as a result, Adam's sin and Adam's guilt has been counted to all of us. And when Adam sinned, God considered every human being to have sinned. When he fell, God considered that every human being fell. That's the federal headship of Adam. We got one theological thing down. Fourthly, we see that sin is even real when the law was not yet written. There was a gap right between Genesis and Exodus. The law was not yet given on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 20. So there was a gap in between there. And so what do we do with those people that lived during that time when there was no law, right? So verses uh, 13 and 14 are written to show that sin and guilt are real even when there was no written law on tablets for people to disobey. In other words, guilt is not just a matter of breaking written rules, of breaking law, but it is an imputed condition that all human beings receive. So they are just as guilty as you and I of having God's holy law. But we also see Fifthly, that Adam is a type of one who is to come. The last statement foreshadows what is coming in verses 
15, in verses 15 through 21, in the same way that Adam serves as a representative for us, all have sinned because of Adam, so Christ serves as a representative. Jesus becomes, in effect, the second Adam. But we'll get more, get into that more fully when we come into that, that section. But before we move on to that, let me emphasize to you the importance of the truths that we've just talked about. First of all, hear this. The Bible is clearly giving us two categories through which we can understand the world. Two categories. Every person is either in Adam or in Christ. There's no middle ground. There's no fourth category. There's two categories. You are either in Adam or you are in Christ. Every person in our sanctuary is either in Adam or in Christ, wherever you are. And it is eternally important to consider which realm do you truly belong? Secondly, understanding the idea of inherited sin could be the missing link for some of you who are searching for spiritual answers. Have you ever wondered, why do I desire bad things? Why? Or why do I do things that are destructive? Or why is there so much bad behavior and ethics and character in our world? The Bible gives us a category for this. And it helps us to see that our problem is not just what we do, but it's actually about who we are. Helps us understand this is who we are and this is why it's happening. Our problem is that without Christ, we are in Adam. So the third fact that we need to consider is the, the fact that sin is more fundamental to law means that, that more rules and more laws do not solve sin. Our legislators go to town making laws, right? And they try to legislate law and more laws and more laws. You know, oh, he broke that law. Let's be creative and write a new law for that. Maybe that'll take care of that. What about this? Let's write another law for this. Maybe ultimately, if we write enough laws, we will obliterate sin. We'll obliterate our problems. We won't even need a police force. The reality is that there are more laws on the books than there ever were in all of history and yet are they working no now the answer of course is not anarchy but the law only serves to make guilt worse guilt is not just because of the law it is because we are in adam and finally this means that you can see people through this in Adam's lens. We can see people. People who are in Adam are powerless to do anything but sin. They're powerless. I can't help but to sin. So if you're hanging out with in Adam people, do not be surprised that they act like in Adam people. What do you expect? We get angry with people and go, are you serious? You should know how to behave. You should know how to act. You should know how to raise your kids. You should know not to break that law. Are they in Adam? Well, that explains it. It's simple. 
As parents, instead of getting angry with your in-Adam kids, have pity on them. Pray for them. Use parental correction, not, not to unleash your frustration and your anger, but to point them to the category of being in Christ. And that's wisdom for you guys. He is going to tick you off. Period. But instead of unleashing and feeling justified, use every opportunity to point him to the category of being in Christ Jesus. Adam's trespasses ruined everything and everyone. But thanks be to God, that's not the end of the story, right? For those of you who are in Christ Jesus, you're going, come on, Paul, get to the next part, because this is the depressing part, the painful part of the in-Adam part. I don't want that to be the end of the story. There's hope, friends, and it is the next point. It is Christ's triumph, and it's not just Christ's triumph, it is also our triumph. The second realm of in Christ is really what this passage is about. Paul set up this contrast between Adam and Christ in order to show us how sin and death, the two most powerful human enemies, are defeated. And they're defeated through Christ's triumph. Keep in mind the main point of this text. What Christ has done for all who are in Him is far greater, far greater than what Adam did for those who were in him. Christ triumphs. So let's talk about the principle here. The, verse 15 identifies the main thought for verses 15 through 21. The entire text is designed to show the superiority, the beauty of grace. And the contrast begins with this statement. The free gift is not like the trespass. Black, white, on, off. They're different. Polar opposites. And then the principle is quite clearly stated. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So the point is simply that Jesus reversed Adam's failure. Adam brought separation and destruction to the entire created order. Total decimation. While Jesus does what? He brings reconciliation and He brings restoration. I want you to just start dreaming in your mind about what does that reality mean if you are in Christ? That Christ brings reconciliation and He brings restoration. In the same way that Adam's failure was applied through representation, so too Christ's triumph over sin and over death can also be applied through representation. While Adam's work and Christ's work are similar, it's a typology. Adam is like Christ and Christ is like Adam in some ways. It is clear that they are not equal in terms of their power, of their beauty, and their effect. 
After all, it is much easier to destroy than it is to restore, isn't it? You've seen it sometimes in your own personal situations. It's really easy to destroy stuff. Family relationships, trust. It's easy to destroy. But man, is it hard to reconcile. To do the work of reconciliation. So verse 15 is worded to begin to highlight the beauty and the celebration of Christ's triumph. Listen to this. Notice these these words. Free gift. Much more. Grace of God. Free gift. Again. Paul can't get enough of that. It's a free gift. Grace is mentioned again. And it does what? It abounds. It abounds. So don't miss the full beauty of this concept. The work of Christ is also doubly beautiful because it not only is unmerited and it's free, but it is also more powerful than the effects of Adam's failure. Previously in Romans, Paul talked about the terrible spiritual plight of every human being. And he talked about justification through by faith. But now, He shows us that God rescues sinners by grace that they did not deserve. And this grace sets into motion the reversal of sin and death. In this respect, grace is doubly glorious and doubly effective. We'll talk about this more if you come back for Romans chapter 6. You folks are welcome too. But this is the part of the stunning beauty of this passage in the work of Christ. How many of you know the hymn, Rock of Ages? Rock of Ages, clap for me. Right? I won't sing the whole thing for your sake. But it goes like this. Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from his wounded side which flowed be of sin the double save from wrath and make me pure so the double cure that Paul is talking about and the, the hymn writer is talking about is to be saved from the wrath of God thanks be to God because that's heavy and that is deadly but not only that we are the double cure is also to make you pure The the double cure is the cancellation of of judgment against and the deliverance from the power of death and sin. And that is good news. So Jesus saves and Jesus restores. He just doesn't save you and say, all right, good luck for the rest of the journey. Jesus says, let me save you and restore your life as it was meant to be. Jesus renews, He restores, He forgives, He changes. He reverses the failure of Adam. And for some of you, you are saying, thanks be to God. Because if God left me from right where He saved me, and He just saved me there, and say, good luck. I'd be still in this same place. I'd be in a pit of despair. I'd be lost and lonely. Thanks to God for saving me. But the rest of my life, what do I do? And he says, don't worry. 
I will walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. You don't need to fear any evil. I, I will send my spirit. I'll pour out my spirit upon you. And Christ will be in you to empower you, to lead you, to guide you. In those moments that you're weak, what, am I, what is he going to do? He's not going to say, well, good luck on this one. He's going to say, ah, I've given you a spirit of power. So the result, what do we see in verses 16 through 21? It's just this unpacking of the implications, the contrast between being in Adam and in Christ. There's at least four resulting consequences. There is justification over condemnation. We find this result something that we have already seen in Romans in verses 16 and 18. After repeating the uniqueness of this gift of grace in verse 16, Paul states that Adam's actions created condemnation. And you know what it feels to be condemned and feel guilty. Jesus' actions brings justification. Adam's transgressions place the created order, especially human beings, under the wrath and the judgment of God. Jesus' obedience made it possible for a new legal standing to be given to you. In other words, he is saying that every person who is condemned is condemned through Adam. And every person who is justified is justified through Christ. Or to say it more succinctly, everyone is condemned through Adam. And everyone who believes in Christ Jesus is justified through Christ. There are only two realms. But being in Christ is far more superior than being in Adam. We also see another contrast. Life over death. Remember when we talked about death before? Being more than just physical death? Well, here we see that even more clearly. Because death is said to have reigned and it was connected to sin and death. Sin and death kind of colluded and, and became the oppressive masters of, the, of, broken, of this broken and anti-God universe. Just think of all the things connected to this devil-inspired Adam-reigning realm. Think about it. Lies. Crime. Broken relationships. Abuse. Cruelty. Sickness, tragedies, greed, self-centeredness, pride, and unrepentance. The entire creation groans underneath the weight of this rain. And so do we, right? There's often times in the midst of this where Christians say, come Lord Jesus, come. John said it in, uh, in Revelation. Come, Lord Jesus, come. All creation is groaning under this weight. In light of this, that of the groaning under the weight of, of death, listen to the compelling hope found in verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more. I love it. If you're an underliner or a circler or a highlighter, 
You need to underline those words. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign. Not just survive. You will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. This is not only a statement about the future, eternal life. The idea is here that Jesus is inaugurating the reconciliation and the restoration that is effective right now. It's effective for you today. If Romans, in Romans 6 verse 4, we hear just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. What? Wrap your head around that. So just as Jesus was raised from the dead, you too can walk in the newness of life. Praise be to God, that's great news. And some of you are dead in your seats right now. Your heart should be stirring and say, uh-huh, mm, give me some more, Pastor. Therefore, know this, being in Christ brings life to life. Now and in the future. Christians should not be just concerned about our eternal life. But we should also know that there are implications today. Therefore, if you are not in Christ Jesus, or if you are not living in light of being in Christ, dream with me as to what it could be in your life. If you are having marriage troubles, imagine not just no longer fighting and arguing, but being truly joyful and happy and even giddy in love with the other person because of life in Christ. Sure, He doesn't take away all your differences and your, your personality stuff. There's always going to be something that irks you about the other person, right? Amen? So those of you who have been around long enough, go, hey, yeah! I've been around this bozo 45 years. Same thing's happening. But there is something when you are in Christ Jesus that you go, I love them no matter what. The, the, the fights, the, the pain, the sorrows, the tragedies, the, the highs and the lows. There's a joy of being with them because of my place in Christ Jesus. Or if you're struggling with addiction, imagine not only falling off of the wagon, but think about Helping others to find true freedom. There's power in that. There's hope in that. Or if you're in financial trouble because of your poor decisions, imagine not only financial freedom, but the ability to give such that you can joyfully say, I was a part of that kingdom endeavor. Jesus offers us restoration of what it really means to be happy human beings. Joyful human beings. He offers life over death. But there's also the contrast between righteousness over sinfulness. The third result is this restatement of what we've already kind of seen in our study through Romans. And so I'm not going to spend much time there. But the comparison is between Adam's disobedience in breaking God's command and Christ's obedience in following the Father's will that ultimately led to the cross, right? So the contrast is between the condition of being full of sin and being full of Christ's righteousness. Man, if I had to choose one, I'll choose righteousness any day. Adam brought sin. 
Christ brought our righteousness, our right standing. We also see grace over the law. The fourth and final result is the connection between sin to the law and grace. According to verse 20, the effect of the entrance of, of the law was ultimately to increase in sin. To, by outlining and detailing what sin actually was, by making us aware of what sin is, the law served to make sin more apparent and also apparently more rampant. We become aware because we have the law. What is sin in all of its different shades? The law is not the ultimate solution. It only served to make sin more obvious. But in contrast to the law, grace was able to deal with sin. The work of Jesus made it possible for sin to be fully addressed. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. If you look back to verse 15, you will see grace and the work of Christ in the same sentence. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one's trespass, how much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Grace abounded because sinful people have been declared righteous through the imputed righteousness of Christ. In other words, Christ's righteousness is now given and you wear Christ's righteousness. The reason that grace is effective over and against the law is because Christ has fulfilled every single requirement that is demanded for you and me. He fulfilled the law in its entirety. And He became the punishment for our sin. That is why throughout Romans we keep hearing terms like through Jesus Christ, through Him, Christ died for the ungodly, saved by Him, justified by blood, and saved by His life. The point and the glory of these statements, friends, is the simple and glorious fact that grace abounds to sinners because Jesus died for sinners. So ungodly, rebellious, and hard-hearted people are changed because Jesus conquered their hearts. Jesus has done more than giving them grace. He has given them grace that is greater than all their sin. <laughs> if you are in Christ Jesus, Jesus did more than just give you grace. He gave you grace that surpassed, that conquered, that eclipsed your sin. So there's many wonderful results of this principle that Jesus reversed Adam's failure, but the text does not end there. Verse 21 brings this chapter to a beautiful conclusion with two words, so that. Paul helps us understand what all this means. Christ reversed Adam's failure so that death would no longer reign. For those who are in Christ, grace now reigns. Listen to the power of verse 21. So that as 
sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the hope of being in Christ is that while you still live in a realm that is filled with the powerful forces of sin and death, you are not in control of your life or your eternal destiny. To be in Christ means that we are in the world, but not of the world. That we grieve not as those who don't have hope, but those who do have hope. That we count sufferings not worth as comparing to the glory that has been and will be revealed to us. And that we are sorrowful, but we are always rejoicing. Why? Because grace is reigning. Donald Barnhouse put it this way. Where sin reached a high watermark, grace completely flooded the world. So you think, you know, think of the watermark on a high river. You go, man, it's starting to overgo the, the, the banks. Man, and that's kind of a picture of sin. And God goes, no. Or Donald Barnhouse is saying, no, that's a bad picture. It, it might cover, go out of its banks, but let me tell you, God's grace completely floods the world. And that is amazing good news. Sin and flesh and, de- and the devil and even death itself do not have the final word in our life. Christ has triumphed over Adam's failures and my failures in Adam. And to be in Christ means that His triumph has become my triumph. And if you're in Christ, Christ's triumph has become your triumph. So understand this deeply within your soul is that Christ has now become your life. Understanding Christ's triumph as my triumph changes how I see my past and my present imperfections. And it provides hope for the future. Embracing Christ's work changes how we see suffering. It serves as the motivation even for sharing Christ or reaching out to resistant people. Living in the beauty of being in Christ makes you humble. It makes you kind. It makes you patient. It makes you gracious. It causes you to be easily entreated and even receive rebuke. Because you know you're not always right. Right? But it also means that the single confession of your life is all I have is Christ. All I have is Christ. Why? Because Christ triumphed over my trespasses. Death no longer reigns. Grace reigns. And this is all because of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I am so grateful that you are the one who has delivered us because there is nothing that we could do to even begin to chip away at our sin and death. There's nothing that can bring about me, within me, 
anything that could bring about any, any kind of renewal or restoration or reconciliation or even a right standing before you. But you provided a way. So God, I pray that your grace will be enough. That we can sing songs like that and we mean it and we get it. We can sing songs where we, we confess together, all I have is Christ. And we say yes and amen to that. But not just here this morning. But on Wednesdays. On Fridays. Two years from now or 50 years from now our confession grows even stronger that all I have is Christ. So Father God, bless this word this morning. May it take root and bear fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We pray this in the only name that saves. In the name of Jesus. Amen.